This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne-wy-giving. Matthew 12, still in our red letter studies. And it looks like we're still going to be there for the foreseeable future. We're going to see exactly how long this goes out. But there are several chapters in Matthew left to go. But you think, or if you're thinking that we've already tapped the depths of Jesus's teachings, we've barely covered maybe about half of them. And that's just in one of the Gospels. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to move right from Matthew over into Mark and then Luke and then John. There are some teachings in those Gospels that are not found in Matthew, nothing that's contradictory, just things that are, well, it took four of these Gospels to cover all of the material and to cover all the territory. But if we covered all four of them, we'd be doing red letter studies at this pace for the next three and a half years. So we're not necessarily looking to do that. There's so much else to teach and to cover in the Bible. But we're in Matthew 12 tonight. Now last week, we had... We'd stopped with a real volatile teaching, or a potentially volatile teaching. And by volatile, I mean it's got the potential to instill a lot of needless fear in believers. We, we said in verse 31, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And before we, don't, before we jump back into that, I want to back up one verse. I want to look at verse 30 again, where he says, He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. And so in that one line, and it's, it sounds like a standalone line, because it's right, it's right between what he was talking about, uh, a person coming into a man and binding the strong man of the house, and, and how the Christian really doesn't have to worry about that. But it's right between that teaching and then his beginning on talking about uh, blasphemy. It's, it's just one line that's there. He that's not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Well, what is he talking about there? He's making it very clear and very binary that there's no middle ground in the spiritual life. We are either on Jesus' side or we are on the enemy's side. And I think we said this last week, that there's no spiritual equivalent of Switzerland. There's no, oh, well, I'm not, I don't really have a dog in the fight. Yes, you do. If you have a soul, you have a dog in the fight. Well, I, I, I don't really want to be a part of the conflict. I just want to see how it shakes out, and then I'll jump on the winning side. Well, the winning side's God's side. There was never any question about that. And if we wait, we don't get to participate in the victory, do we? Oh, man, this ties into Sunday's message, doesn't it, about the unprepared. The unprepared. If we don't participate in the fight, we don't participate in the victory. We don't participate in the victory. And Jesus makes it clear that it's, it's uh, well, there's a term binary. It's either a one or a zero. If you're talking about co uh, computation and electronics and computing, then all computer languages are in one and ones and zeros. Yes or no, on or off. It's the same way in Christ. We're either on his side or we are against him. Even... Well, and the language that he uses is, 
He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. So he's using a phrase. He's using language that speaks of, and, and I want to refer to that old hymn, and I don't think we've ever, we've ever sung it here, Bringing in the Sheaves. I don't know if anyone here has ever heard of that one or ever sang it. Perhaps in uh, some long ago church, I think we have it in our hymnal. Hold on, do we? Bringing in the Sheaves. It's a reference to a scripture that talks about those who sow in tears will reap in joy. And that those that go out in sorrow, laboring in the field, so to speak, will come again rejoicing, bringing their sheaves in with them. It's about harvest. And so if we're not actively harvesting with the Lord, then we are, in fact, whether by intent or by neglect, we are doing the opposite of harvesting. We are scattering things abroad rather than gathering them together and bringing them into the storehouse of the Lord, so to speak. He says, He that's not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Even non-participants, if they want to use that phrase, non-participants dwell in the enemy's camp. Their own deadweight apathy contributes to the enemy's cause. And it is a sad indictment against American Christianity and uh, large-scale mainstream Christianity as a whole that there really isn't a hardly any effort to bring people in. It's all this passive stuff and there's very little real human engagement to try to get people uh, not just into the house of God, but to a place where they can hear the gospel and then have a chance to believe on that gospel and then pray and be changed. Are we following what he's talking about there? There's very little effort. Let me jump really quick. We're still on this verse here. Let me jump really quick over to a couple of, um, um, a couple of secular world practices, okay? Marketing and sales. Those are not the same thing, but they work for the same cause, right? Marketing is the guys that design and crank out the flyers that go into your mailbox and from your mailbox to the trash can every day. Marketing is the guys that, that you know, design and put up the banner ads all over the internet and interfere, interfere with the articles that you're trying to read. Uh, marketing guys are the ones that put up the posters and they do the logos and they do all of the, um, they do all of the support stuff that would back up the sales effort. Sales is blowing up phones, kicking down doors and sending out this stuff and making human contact and trying to get your widget into somebody's hands, right? And then their money out of their wallet and into your company's bank account. Now, not to reduce the gospel to uh, such commercial terms, but the principles are there. Now, we've got marketing. We've got nice business cards right? And flyers and a sign out front. And we haven't bought any radio advertising because that tends to just be money almost literally flushed down a toilet. You know, there's no, there's not much guarantee that that's going to uh, get a hold of anybody and that they're going to act on it. Um, we've got marketing. We've got the material. Reverend Ryder, shortly after we first moved here, he put in, uh, I, I imagine, a fair number of hours getting our name and identity and schedule onto every major, um, every major internet map service that was around. Certainly Google and Apple and Bing 
and probably Yahoo and maybe one other one. I'm not sure. Did we get on MapQuest and all of that? I'm not NavTech for TomTom and all that. So we've put ourselves out there in just about every passive way that we can as a church. But it still takes human connection a lot of times and communicating with people. And it's not always just an invitation. Sometimes it takes actually sitting down and sharing a witness of a testimony with them. And that speaks to people's hearts because it's, it's, a, it's a Christian's personal experience that will often speak to another person the loudest because a billboard is just another billboard, isn't it? It's just one more billboard. And those electronic ones, by the way, ridiculous money. And it's not even your electronic billboard. You have to share that space with everybody else that rented space on that thing. To keep You talk about a racket. About, I mean, really, we should get into that business. But, you know, you pay for a few things. But um, marketing's good. Marketing's important. But it takes the human element. It takes the human element. It takes the human experience. What was the most effective soul-winning method? I don't even like to say method because it's not something that people necessarily chose to do at the very beginning of the church martyrdom and I've read accounts about people in the early church when we were under heavy heavy persecution that when threats were made hey you know denounce Christ or we're going to feed you to the wolves or burn you at the stake there were believers that actually leapt forward and said no that's okay leave them alone leave them, leave, leave them alone burn me burn me send me home to my father now, you want to talk about some dedication. I'm not saying that we should all go out and emulate ourselves, okay? <laughs> come to church. We're dead now, but come to church anyway. That's horrible. But you understand what I'm saying. It's the human element that speaks loudest. It's the human experience that speaks loudest. And so, he that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Now, and then he moves in, or he moves on, but it's a transitional phrase he uses here too. He says, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. And we talked about that last week. There's not a lot there to really pull apart. It's very clear language and it's very face value. But, as we mentioned before, whenever you start talking about the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, the devil sidles right in to the new Christians, right over to the new Christian side and says, you did that. You did that last week. You did that a year ago. You did that 10 years ago. See that? You're not a Christian. You're a fake. You're a phony. God won't ever forgive you. You're lost. And it's all a bunch of nonsense. And one way that we can know that is because Anybody who has committed an unforgivable sin, of which there is only one, according to the words of Christ right here. This is the only one that cannot be forgiven. Someone who has committed such an act, generally speaking, they possess something called a reprobate mind. And that means that they no longer have any interest in God or righteousness, Christianity, church, or anything else. They don't. And the Holy Spirit has departed 
from such a person as that. And if the Holy Spirit departs, then there's no conviction, there's no draw, there's no pull uh, on, the, by, on the Holy Ghost part, on our heart. There's nothing there at all to draw a person to repentance. And so if a person's in that state, they're not in a church anyway. Nine times out of ten, they're not even in a church anyway, and there's no interest there at all whatsoever. So if the devil has tried to say that to anyone here, has tried to put that into a believer's mind, you can put that right back out. If you love the Lord, you're not reprobate. If you want to be right with God, then you haven't been abandoned and forsaken by the Spirit of God. And so that's a battle you don't even have to fight. But there's another teaching that's in here about this, and I don't remember if we mentioned this last week or not, that this is further support for the Trinity of God. This is further support for the understanding that God is in himself a Trinity. Let's read it again. He says, verse 32, Whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, that's Jesus, that's the Son of God, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever shall speak against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. So, if the Son of Man and the Holy Ghost are the same person, and there's no difference in identity between those two, then wouldn't blaspheming against the Son also constitute blaspheming against the Holy Ghost? Because they're the same person. Exactly. And he says, that it, he says, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. So if God and the Son and the Spirit are in fact all the same, blaspheming one covers all three, you're lost, unsavable, reprobate mind, good as dead, just waiting for your body to catch up. But because God is a trinity, meaning that he's three as well as one, how is that possible? We've talked about this. Who knows? Nobody knows how it's possible. How it's possible is that God is infinite. That's how it's possible. How it's possible is that God transcends all of our finite understanding about Him. That's how it's possible. Because, though, there is a Father who sent His Son, according to Scripture, and there is a Son who said, I will send you another Comforter. There's three. They're not all the same. They're all one God, but they are three different persons. And, and, if, and if it's still hard to understand, yes, it's impossible to understand in this life. And we don't have to. That's the awesome thing about it. We were never called or commanded to understand God's composition. We have been called to know him personally, intimately, as our God, as our Father, as our Lord, as our Savior, etc. He's our all in all. And that's all that we have to do. We accept him. He didn't say take, understand. C.S. Lewis made that statement. He said take, eat, not take, understand. It's as simple as that. So let's move on. Verse 33. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. Trees, fruit, good or bad, make a decision. That's another binary lesson right from the mouth of our Lord. And it seems to be a fair amount of that in this chapter. He says, you know, what did he say before that we were talking about? He that is not with me is against me. There's no middle line. 
He that's not gathering is scattering. There's no middle line. Down here he says, either make the tree good or make the tree evil. Make the tree good or make it corrupt. Do one or the other. There's no middle ground. Oh, well, I'm, not, I'm neither good nor evil. I, I'm just, I'm neutral. I'm in the middle. I'm not doing any harm and I'm not doing any good. I'm not doing anything great, but I'm not doing anything terrible. Then you're on the wrong side. Remember a message that was preached a few weeks ago here when we were preaching out of uh, the Revelation, the church of the Laodiceans. He said, thou art neither hot nor cold. And because you are neither hot nor cold, the Lord said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. It's like the worst penalty is reserved for the fence sitters. Those who didn't do anything at all. Those that wouldn't commit one way or the other. It's the same way here. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt. And then he says, for the tree is known by his fruit. But look at the language. He says to us, either make the tree good and its fruit good or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt. He didn't say, I have made you good or I have made you corrupt. So this takes some Calvinist predestination and just pulls it all apart. Because it isn't predestination. He's telling us to make the tree good or to make the tree evil. He leaves it in our hands. So, well, how do I make the tree good? Well, you make the tree, we know how we make the tree good. If the tree is us, if we as individuals are all individual trees, like in Psalm 1, we were preaching on Sunday, Psalm 1, planted by the rivers of water, bearing fruit in our season, our, our leaves not withering, all that we do shall prosper. All those promises bound up there in the first three or four verses of Psalm 1. Okay? But the language that he uses here is, you either make the tree good or the tree evil. It's not predestined. It's not predetermined. Because we were all born into the world evil, weren't we? We were all born lost. We were all born in sin. That's according to the word of God by the mouth of Paul. There is none that doeth righteous. There is none good. There is none righteous. No, not one. That's the language that he used. Very absolute. But Jesus here is telling us, you make the tree good or you make the tree evil. The power is in your hands. If we want to make the tree good, we come to Christ. We accept Christ. And that is the beginning of a good tree right there. That's the beginning of it. And in time, as we submit ourselves to God and He works in us, we grow. And then in due time, we bear fruit. Well, then what did He say about that fruit? He says the tree is known by His fruit. So it's time for a little fruit comparison. What's the fruit of our lives tonight? Are we bearing good fruit? Well, what do you mean by good fruit? Are we bearing good fruit of patience? Are we bearing the good fruit of long-suffering? Are we bearing the good fruit of gentleness? Are we bearing the good fruit of kindness and of love for one another and love for our fellow man, if you will, whether they're sinners or saints? Are we bearing the good fruit of, uh, of all of those things that every virtue that is explained in the New Testament that is outlined by some by Peter, some by Paul? Are those the fruit of our life or are we bearing the bitter and the rotten fruit of anger and hostility and, and impatience and, and uh, uh, arrogance or pride or things like that? Are we bearing bad fruit? Well, the fruit of our life identifies what kind of tree we are, doesn't it? See an orange on an orange tree. What kind of tree is that? 
It's not a lemon tree. It's an orange tree. You see a plum on a tree. It's not a... Uh, Oh, do I want to complicate it with a joke? It's not a grape tree. I know grapes don't go on trees, but you know what I'm saying. The fruit identifies the tree always, always, always. And so what kind of tree are we? Just to make it personal, what kind of tree are we? I'm not trying to bring anyone under condemnation. This is a teaching. This is what Jesus says. He says, either make the tree good or make the tree corrupt. Because whatever fruit comes of it identifies exactly what it is. He says next, verse 34, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? Now, it's not a different teaching. He didn't change tracks here. This is all on the same teaching about trees. He says either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by its fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For, verse 37, by the words, by thy words, thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So this whole teaching here is from verse 33 to verse 37. It's about trees and fruit, and the parallel is the human heart, and then the words that come out of our mouth as a result of what is in the human heart. So what is it, if, if the human heart is like a tree, what kind of evil fruit is, if it's evil, what kind of evil fruit is it bringing forth? It's bringing forth lies. It's bringing forth blasphemy because all of this was one paragraph even with this teaching on blasphemy. It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth of a man or a woman speaks. And so corrupt evil heart or whatever brings forth corrupt things. Lies, dishonesty of all kinds, blasphemy, bitterness, gossip. Oh man, that's a big one right there because people love to do it. They love to do it, and then people that are of the same spirit love to hear it. They want to hear the dirt on somebody else's life. Tell me who they're dating. Tell me who they broke up with. Tell me whose fault it was. Tell me why. I gotta know. You know, these are the type of bottom feeders that buy the National Enquirer. Hey, really? Like spiritual catfish just sucking up all the crud on the bottom of the river. Yuck! I mean, catfish might taste good, but I don't know. I used to like catfish until I got a bad one once. It tasted like river mud, and it was absolutely disgusting, and I haven't had a catfish since. just ruined it for me. But people can be like that. They can be like that because what the attitude or what the, um, what the appetite of their mind and heart is, what they have an appetite for also tells you what kind of person they are what kind of tree they are. And then they eventually bring forth some kind of fruit and then that identifies their character. If they love gossip, something's wrong. If they love filth, something's wrong. If they love blasphemy, if they can't control their blaspheming tongue, everything's got to invoke the name of God or of Jesus, but not in a reverential way. You know what I'm talking about? 
then something's wrong. If they got a lying tongue, something is wrong. And I, th- I don't remember if we said this last week or maybe in a service prior to that. Lying is the beginning of madness. Lies are the beginning of madness. It all started with a lie, didn't it? Didn't a serpent come into the garden and speak with Eve? Didn't a serpent tell Eve when, when first asking like some multi-level marketer plaguing your life in a bookstore somewhere or in a grocery store trying to get you to trying to scam you into some kind of uh, Amway type of deal or whatever. Didn't he come slithering into the garden and, and ask Eve, hey, what's up with all these fruit and, and all of that? And Eve was like, oh, hey, serpent. Yeah, God said this. And then she got that wrong because maybe she wasn't paying attention when God did speak. We don't really know. And then what did the devil say? He spoke a lie, uttered a lie and said, thou shalt not surely die. And because he uttered a lie and because Eve did not guard her heart, Eve believed a lie. And because she believed a lie, she acted on a false premise that it would in fact be okay. Well, then, then what happened? Well, we know what happened after that. You know, she ate and her eyes were enlightened in the wrong way and at the wrong time and, and in disobedience to God. And then, of course, people, they don't want to sin alone. So she dragged her man into it. Her, her strong, faithful, intelligent, independently minded, full of integrity man, right? Right. Adam got hit with a case of, uh, oh goodness. What's a good name for it? We got to coin a good term for it. What, what was that? Delilah. Delilah syndrome. That's a good one. That sounds a lot better than henpeck syndrome. That doesn't sound, and that's not quite right either. We don't, I don't know if Eve's like getting on his case and riding him and he finally just gave in. According to the narrative, it looks like he caved in really fast, didn't take a whole lot of nagging. I think it was a case of belt loop syndrome, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, honey, sure, whatever you say, you know, knowing good and well what God had said. Knowing good and well what was right and what was wrong because of one lie and one deception and then one cave-in of his, of his own otherwise good free will. And it was all downhill from there. Lies are the beginning of madness because when people believe those lies, when people believe those lies, it's a kind of psychosis. It can be. Now, and I'm not saying that the person believing it is crazy, but it leads to that, especially when people start lying to themselves. Because when mankind lied to himself, he created psychosis. He created psychosis. Lies are the beginning of madness. He says here, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. Praise. Worship. Kind words. Strengthening and encouraging words. Reproof that is profitable for correcting someone else's bad behavior or bad judgment. Good advice, sound advice. Just a few off the top of our head examples of a good man bringing forth good treasure out of the heart. Have you ever been around someone that was just filled with positivity? And they wouldn't, they wouldn't speak ill of the devil. 
And even if they did speak ill of the devil, it would be something like, yeah, it wasn't the best decision that he made, you know. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever been around people that were like that? I'm not talking about Pollyannas that are naive. I'm talking about people that they've been through life. They're not naive. They're not stupid. They simply choose not to contribute to the negative cesspool of negative emotion. You know what I'm saying? And then you've been around the opposite of people like that. Everything's bad. Everything's terrible. Everything's wrong. Everything's exhausting. Everything hurts. Nothing is right. Everything's going to burn. You've been around people like that? Oh my goodness. Those are like vampires, man. They're like energy vampires. It's just, it's like their teeth get into your veins and just, just suck the life out of you like, 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 like fluorescence. Suck all the juice out of your eyes. Just suck, suck, suck. And there's nothing left. And, and then when they finally go away, you need to go get a nap because you're just done. Because it just took all the good energy out of you. I'm not saying it's literally like that, but it sure feels like it. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. Man, that's powerful. That'll preach. That'll preach. There's a message in that. There really is. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But then Jesus gives us the warning right here. He says... But I say unto you that every idle word, and he didn't just throw that word idle in there because he was trying to fill up space or sound more convincing. He, he said, every, he meant everything that he said. Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. So you mean to tell me that if I'm just sitting there blowing and going and and grousing about the day and talking trash about some people and I don't really mean it, I'm just talking a bunch of smack. You mean that that's actually going to be held against me? Every idle word. And then in verse 37, he caps it off. He says, For by thy words thou shalt be justified and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 2 says, Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. This whole teaching presents a warning to men and women to be careful what we say and not be too quick to speak. And aren't we told elsewhere in Scripture to be swift to hear, slow to wrath, because wrath causes all kinds of hasty words that can be incredibly destructive, as well as hasty actions, okay? Slow to speak. He says, swift to hear, slow to wrath, slow to speak. It's okay to think for a minute before you give an answer to a question or an answer to some charge brought against you or to speak at all. It's okay to stop and to think, to recover your thoughts, compose your spirit, especially in a heated moment because arguments is, that's when everything gets really accelerated, doesn't it? Because now it's no longer listening to hear, it's listening to calculate a response, which is to get back. It's, a, it's strike and counter-strike, isn't it? Come on, all you married folks, you know what I'm talking about. All right, 
Thank you. So just trying to make sure we're hitting home. Single folks too, if you've ever dated, if you've ever had a relationship, if you've ever had parents that you fought and argued with, it's the same thing, okay? It's okay to just go slow, keep a cool spirit. Because the Bible also tells us, tells us back in Proverbs that a person who is, a person who is quickly angered or easily angered is like a city with its walls broken down. It's got no defenses. Those are people with short fuses, short tempers. One word or one wrong look or something like that. And boom, they're exploding and they're raining all over your parade. Whoa, 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 whoa. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. I went real slow over the ones that were most pertinent to there, okay? Or to that. It's a warning for us to be careful before we speak because if we're reckless with our words, and we're going to end with this, if we're reckless with our words, it can really come back and bite us. It really can. That's why they even tell people when they arrest them, what's that, the Miranda warning? You know, anything you say can or will be used against you in a court of law or words to that effect. I don't know how it's presented. I've never had anybody read me those rights. Careful. Because anything you say in life can or and will be used against you in the court of heaven. Either for good or for, or for ill. So think. And Christ wasn't the first to teach this necessarily. But it was true. It's true and righteous. And so there are cultures that act on that sort of thing. There are cultures that have built it into their own customs that when people are talking, they'll actually stop and everybody will wait for five or six seconds before anyone else will speak again to give the person who's been talking enough time to conclude what they were saying. It's the Navajos that do that, I believe and other groups as well. And so it's not unique, but it's good and it's right. Let us be careful with the words of our mouth. Let us be careful. Let us take that, let's take that admonition to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. It'll do everyone good. Ourselves first, everyone that we are uh, that we communicate with, everyone that we have any kind of a relationship with. It's a good place to be. And so let's go ahead and stop it right there. We're just a little bit past time, only five minutes. And be at the will of the Lord. We're going to pick it up next week in verse 38. He changes the subjects. And there's some prophecy involved in this concerning Nineveh, the Queen of the South, etc. And then we'll be able to wrap up that. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash giving